Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Network is this. Oh, no punches! A real uh, revolutionary.
right now. Wow. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, Black, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? It's Friday, May 6, 2022. I'm Michael M. Hotep sitting in for Roland. Here's what's coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Redlining, the discriminatory practice of classifying ethnic minorities and low-income neighborhoods as hazardous for investment, continues, but three of the nation's largest banking institutions want to update an anti-discriminatory bank law to address the harm of redlining. We'll talk to the president and CEO of the National Community Reinvestment Coalition pushing for the changes. A white New York teacher is on administrative leave for handcuffing, shackling, and making his black student, black students pick cotton during a lesson on slavery. A former Colorado police officer pleads guilty to assaulting a 76-year-old woman during an arrest. A wrongfully convicted Indiana man will receive $7.5 million, the largest settlement awarded to a wrongfully imprisoned plaintiff in the state of Indiana. The conduct of a Maryland officer that has Prince George's County facing a $75 million lawsuit is now a convicted felon. The Poor People's Campaign is gearing up for, for next month's moral march on Washington and the polls. They'll tell you how you can get involved. And in our Education Matters segment, we'll look at a nonprofit organization that found a way to help black and brown students prepare for the future. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Three major U.S. banking regulators want to rewrite many outdated regulations tied to the Community Reinvestment Act, a decades-old banking law. Federal Reserve Board, uh, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency believes the law designed to encourage lending to the poor and racial minorities in the areas where banks have branches needs revamping. FDIC Chairman Martin J. Grunberg said the substantial impact would come from modifying the act. The Board of Directors of the FDIC 
jointly with the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System and the controller of the currency is today acting on a notice of proposed rulemaking or NPR to make comprehensive amendments to the Community Reinvestment Act regulations. This has been an ambitious undertaking. The proposed changes to CRA are substantial. They would significantly expand the scope and rigor of CRA and expand access to credit, investment, and basic banking services in low and moderate income communities across the United States. These communities have been the most severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. For that reason, among others, action on this NPR takes on a particular urgency. Joining me now from Washington, D.C. is Jesse Van Toll, the president and CEO of the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. How are you doing today, Jesse? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Michael. Honored to be here. All right. Thanks for joining us. So um, this is something very interesting. I remember back October 22nd, 2021, um, Attorney General Merrick Garland did a press conference to talk about this initiative. And what's interesting is that um, redlining, we know it's a practice that dates back to the 1930s, right, and coming from the federal government and the Homeowners Loan Corporation. Um, can you explain redlining is illegal, so how is it still happening today? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've passed a number of laws to deal with racial discrimination in lending, um, including the Community Reinvestment Act of 1977. Uh, but you see all different modern forms of redlining, uh, something called reverse redlining, uh, where people of color are not excluded from financial services, but they're actually targeted uh, for financial services that are more predatory, more costly. Um, less good, uh, frankly, than than the best alternative. So, um, you know, CRA has been a critical part of addressing that. It, uh, on Thursday, the regulators proposed a much-needed update to CRA to reflect the fact that, um, uh, you know, changes in the financial services landscape, a lot of banking is no longer done in the bank branch. And, and what right. they're trying to do is breathe life into this regulation in, in some new ways. Okay, so th this is another example of how the law has to catch up to the technology, right? I, I was reading an article back uh, from uh, October 22nd, 2021, from CBS News, Justice Department to investigate, quote-unquote, digital redlining and lending. Okay, so this, is, this sounds like an example of how the law has to catch up to the technology. Is that what we're looking at? That's right. I mean, the, the, the law is an examination of banks for their lending practices, but it examines them where they have branches. And we know that a great many banks uh, today are, are doing a lot of their business online uh, with customers. There are entire banks that have no branches. They're online banks. And those banks were getting examined under CRA uh, just in their headquarter city. Uh, many of them are headquartered in, in places like Salt Lake City uh, for tax reasons. Uh, and so there wasn't really a robust examination of their lending uh, practices, their investment practices, and how they were providing banking services to people. Uh, and this update uh, would change that, would fix that. There's 
some things it doesn't do that would require okay. uh, legislative changes to the law, and that's uh, covering companies like mortgage companies or non-banks uh, that don't take deposits. Those are still not covered by CRA. They are covered by other fair lending laws, but those companies don't have the same kind of obligation to uh, affirmatively serve communities that historically have been redlined. Okay. So um, here are the key elements of the law the banks want to see changed. Okay. Uh, we have expand access to credit investment and uh, basic banking services and low and moderate income communities, uh, adapt to changes in the banking industry, uh, including internet and mobile banking, uh, provide greater clarity, consistency, and transparency, tailor Community Reinvestment Act's uh, evaluations and data collection to bank size and type, and maintain a unified approach. So, Jesse, can you explain to our audience, uh, oftentimes we focus on the uh, racial wealth gap. Can you talk about how the uh, Department of Justice, led by uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, attacking this digital redlining will help close some the uh, racial wealth gap? Yeah, you know, it's—so uh, we see a number of institutions not covered by CRA, not covered by fair lending laws in the way that they're serving people, people of color, uh, black people, Latinos. Um, it's sort of a wild west out there when you think about what's happening on your, on your, on your mobile phone, the changing nature of financial services, how people are uh, banking today, uh, you know, on their phones. Uh, you know, with new and different companies. And we certainly see, right. I mentioned before, reverse redlining. That's really the targeting of people for higher cost financial services. They may not even know that they're paying more. Uh, you see lots of small business owners, for example, going online to get small business loans. Uh, you see alternative forms of financing cropping up, people going to, you know, no longer to their banks. But uh, to new and different companies. We saw during PPP lots of scams targeting mm -hmm. people um, to try to help them uh, with a PPP loan. And those are examples of, you know, companies that operate outside of the regulatory uh, infrastructure that's in place that are not covered uh, by many of these laws like CRA, but they are covered uh, by fair lending laws. And the Department of Justice can go after them for uh, for digital redlining, for digital discrimination, for use of things like algorithms uh, in their, you know, artificial intelligence that may be baking in factors that are that are uh, discriminatory on the basis of race, um, without necessarily explicitly uh, saying that they are discriminatory. We've seen lenders use in underwriting models things that are proxies for race uh, that disproportionately impact. Uh, people of color, and um, it's not on the face of it problematic, but when you dig into it, um, things like uh, what social media platforms people are on or or what hours of the day they post to social media or did they graduate wow. from college? Do they write in uppercase or lowercase on their social media pages? These these may sound silly and, and as, as though they have no impact, but Turns out there are racial differences in, in how people do those things, and companies relying on that kind of data 
uh, in their loan process to do underwriting to determine whether or not you're a good bet for a loan or for banking services could be discriminating. And those are the kinds of things I think the Department of Justice, the CFPB, and other regulators are looking at uh, to go after. Okay, so okay, so you just said a lot there, Jesse. I think a lot of people don't know how deep this is and how pervasive this is, okay? I'm going to go to my panel here in just a minute, but um, you talked about algorithms, okay? So can you... I mean, we talk about driving while black and, and, and walking while black, things like this, but, okay, explain the algorithms and how it, the algorithms can, algorithms can discriminate against African-Americans who are applying for bank loans, et cetera. Well, sure, a couple of different things. So, you know, increasingly, um, fintech companies, and, and including a lot of banks, are using, uh, you know, sort of big data, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, to figure out whether they think someone's uh, creditworthy and a good bet for a loan. Um, and essentially what you have is, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, looking at a whole bunch of different data, including data uh, never before used in lending, um, to come up with, you know, an algorithm to figure out whether someone uh, is a good bet for a loan or not. What's their likelihood? What's the risk of them defaulting on that loan? And one of the problems is, uh, is you know, depending on what goes into that algorithm, it can be discriminatory. Um, and in fact, right. some companies are using machine machine learning to where you know, the computer itself, the AI itself, is coming up with new ideas uh, as to how to uh, underwrite differently. Uh, and, uh, you know, you put in bad data, you get bad data out, right? Um, and so um, we've seen some of those practices be problematic uh, in terms of, of how it impacts access to capital and credit. Uh, for people of color, for low-income communities, uh, and other underserved communities and people. Okay. Now, the 1977 law, the Community Reinvestment uh, Act law, addresses fair housing practices. The proposal will undergo several revisions and should be finalized later this year, later 2022. Now, is this something that has to pass Congress, or can it just totally be handled by the Department of Justice? The, proposes, uh, the proposal issued on Thursday uh, by the three bank regulatory agencies, the FDIC, OCC, and the, and the Federal Reserve, can be, uh, can be finalized by those agencies. What can't be done um, is uh, expanding the law to cover other types of companies. That would require an act of Congress. Um, so you can't apply the law to mortgage companies, to certain fintech companies, insurance companies, and the like. Uh, but those uh, banking agencies can can act and will act to finalize uh, these proposed changes uh, later this year, as you said, and and that'll be subject to a public comment period where anybody can comment um, and suggest ways in which uh, the the regulation could be strengthened. And we certainly plan to do just that. Okay, because I was wondering how this would also impact the lawsuit that uh, Ben Crump just filed against Wells Fargo when it came to uh, a, apparently the, the huge article from Bloomberg News from uh, March 2022 about Wells Fargo only approving 47 percent 
of African Americans who were applying to refinance their home mortgages, which was much lower. They were the only, according to the analysis from Bloomberg News, they were the only mortgage lender to uh, turn a, turn away more African Americans than than they approved. So I was kind of wondering how this initiative here from the Department of Justice will affect that, if at all, or it has to a bill has to pass Congress to uh, uh, address. Uh, Wells Fargo, if it is found by independent study that Wells Fargo, in fact, only approved 47 percent and turned away more uh, African Americans than they approved for re -home, uh, refinancing their home mortgages. Yeah, no, it's very relevant. You know, it's uh, the original sin of the Community Reinvestment Act. It was passed in response to redlining, which was race discrimination, but it was passed on the basis of income. Uh, yes. the, the regulation to date has, has spoken to low and moderate income people in low and moderate income communities. And obviously there's, you know, significant overlap there. But one of the things the regulators are proposing to do is to incorporate data on lending to people of color, including the kinds of statistics you just cited with regards to Wells Fargo on the CRA exam to, to really look at that and include that um, as part of the analysis. Um, city by city, place by place, uh, how well are banks doing at, uh, you know, at lending uh, to African-Americans, to Latinos? They're also doing things like separating uh, some of the data that was in CRA before. Uh, you know, the law speaks to low and moderate income people. Well, they're separating low from moderate and really looking at each distinctly. Uh, the law speaks to lending to small businesses. Well, they're separating the very smallest small businesses from from other small businesses, and and we know that disproportionately the smallest businesses are are owned by people of color, are owned by women. Um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of black-owned businesses have no employees; right. they're quite small, uh, and they're in need of microloans from the banks. And the banks tend to focus their efforts you know, at the higher end of what's allowable under CRA. And those kinds of changes proposed on Thursday could really help expand access to capital and credit for the smallest businesses, uh, for low-income people. And again, by incorporating race data, it'll shine a light within CRA on the kinds of practices you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Well, that's definitely good news. Uh, I, I want to bring in my panel here and, and see if they have any quick questions for you, if you don't mind, Jesse. Uh, first, we have these are regulars here, Roland Martin Unfiltered, uh, Kelly Bathia, JD, uh, communication strategist. How you doing, Kelly? Uh, Matt Manning, Hi. civil rights attorney, and uh, Dr. Jason Nichols, senior lecturer, African American Studies Department, uh, uh, Department uh, University of Maryland College Park. So uh, let's start with Kelly. Kelly, do you have any questions for uh, Jesse regarding the uh, Department of Justice cracking down on digital redlining? Sure. Um, my main question is, with everything that's going on as far as interest rates and inflation, how impactful will this regulation, this, you know, revised regulation be um, to minorities, um, considering that there's an interest spike when it comes to, uh, well, a spike in interest rates, rather, when it comes to lending from these banks? Um, and secondly, will there be penalties for banks who do not comply? Um, is, is this a mandate or is this just more like a, you can do this, like a suggestion? Yeah, both great, great questions. So certainly interest rates, um, you know, it makes housing less affordable. It costs more to buy a home. 
and that's a big part of the equation. We've seen interest rates rise and fall. Uh, you know, I think they'll remain high for some time. Eventually, they'll come down again. Uh, but one of the things that this law does, what CRA does, really encourages banks to establish programs to, uh, you know, to, to help people get loans, including uh, things like special purpose credit programs, targeted lending programs uh, to people of color um, that, you know, come with them, uh, maybe lower interest rates. And in a lot of cases, things like down payment assistance, we know that having the money for a down payment is uh, just as important, uh, if not more important, uh, than the interest rate in terms of being able to buy that home and, and that home being affordable to you. So, so yes, interest rates play a big role in whether uh, houses are affordable or not. Um, uh, you know, historically, interest rates, we've seen interest rates even higher uh, than we've enjoyed for the past 20, 30 years. You know, in the 70s, interest rates were in 7 8%. Um, and people still bought homes, but but there's no doubt that lower interest rates makes it more possible for people to buy a house. So certainly there's an interplay of these things. But but CRA gives kind of a big nudge uh, to banks uh, to help figure that out, figure out lower interest rates for special programs. With regards to enforcement, um, you know, you know this law it has some teeth and is getting more teeth uh, with the proposal on Thursday. So bank that fails its CRA exam, and more banks are expected to fail their CRA exam under this uh, proposed regime. Uh, a bank that fails is not allowed to open branches, not allowed to merge with other banks, um, is really in okay. sort of the regulatory doghouse, um, so to speak. There are other consequences and impacts as well. Okay. Uh, Matt Manny, do you have a question for uh, Jesse? I did. I did. Jesse, thanks for being with us this evening and for explaining right. this, this issue to us. Um, I read in one of the articles that there's a concern by the larger lenders that this is going to increase significantly their regulatory and um, compliance costs. In your view, is that actually something that is a concern for those lenders, or is that more kind of a, a subterfuge and a way to push back against further regulation against those banks, particularly as it relates to you know, a, a, an interesting or thorny topic like lending to uh, people of color, women, and other historically disadvantaged groups. Yeah, I'm not sure that banks have ever met a regulation that they liked and didn't think would increase their costs. Um, you know, I think it, obviously every regulation has a cost. The question is, what's the benefit? And I think here there's there's clearly a benefit to society of banks doing a better job of, of uh, something that they should be doing on their own but are not, and that's being fair to people uh, and investing in all communities and making loans to all people. And it's it's sad that, uh, you know, uh, 40 years after the original passage of this law, uh, you, you know, <laughs> more than 40 years since passage of the Fair Housing Act, that we still have to mandate and legislate um, that banks treat people fairly, that they invest in minority communities, uh, they build affordable housing. Uh, so certainly there's a cost to doing this. I think it's far outweighed by the benefit um, to society of, of requiring these banks to do this. All right, and Jason, uh, did you have a question for Jesse Jason? Yes, I do. Thank you for being with us. Um, I had a question. I was really blown away with your statement about algorithms and data collection. And, and so I was wondering, is this something that is 
systemic that we see with all banks, or is it something that you're seeing with just some individual banks where there's an individual banker who's looking at someone's loan application and decides to go to their social media? How widespread is this problem, and how does uh, the regulation that the FDIC and the other uh, regulators, uh, how does that actually uh, deal with the with the issue of data collection and algorithms and and things that are leading to discrimination in that way. Yeah, so to be clear, you know, there's laws and regulations that really govern what you're supposed to do when you make a loan to someone, right? There's uh, things that banks are supposed to rely on. You know, it's it's allowable to rely on your credit score, even though there are some problems with that on things like your income. But what I was speaking to very specifically, you know, fintech companies are really um, transforming uh, the lending landscape. Folks like Square, uh, PayPal, and others um, who are really transforming the way loans are made. And and some of these companies, uh, you know, are fair and responsible, and others are using um, you know novel approaches um, to underwrite a loan, uh, looking at you know sort of beyond your credit score, beyond your income, other factors, and. Um, you know, those are not automatically bad or good. Um, potentially looking at other things could expand some people's ability to get a loan. Something not included in a credit score is your history of making rental payments on time. And for most of us, <laughs> you know, starting out as renters, that's that's what you do. That's how you, uh, you know, how you're, how you're paying for housing every month. To not count that is a disadvantage. So, so there's possibilities to expand access by looking at other data, but some of it can be very problematic, and and the regulators are absolutely looking at this and looking to crack down on on some of the more problematic behaviors. All right, thanks, Jason. Okay, uh, Jesse. Well, look, we really appreciate this, and once again, everybody, Jesse Van Told is the president and CEO of the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. How can people find out more about the uh, National Community Reinvestment Coalition? Is there a website, social media platform, et cetera, they could get more information? Very easy, ncrc.org um, okay. is our website, and they're also welcome to attend our national annual conference, June 13th and 14th in Washington, D.C., the Just Economy Conference. Okay, nrc.org, nrc.org? ncrc.org. ncrc.org. All right, Jesse, have a great day. Thanks for coming on Roller Thanks Marks so and much. Filters. Bye. Okay, um, the Biden-Harris administration is keeping its promise to relieve Americans from their student loan debt. So far, the Department of Education forgave 110,000 borrowers totaling around $6.8 billion under the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. The program became law in 2007 and is designed to forgive debts for people working for nonprofit organizations or government who made payments for 10 consecutive years. The program was full of technicalities, making it difficult for borrowers to see the relief. But the U.S. Department of Education made temporary changes to ensure better management of the plans. The deadline to apply for the updated program is October 31st, 2022, okay? Um, I know we're coming up here on a break, so you, this is Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Media Network. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be right back. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. 
And on the next Get Wealthy, we're talking cryptocurrency. Does it scare you? Does it confuse you? Well, Black Americans are investing in cryptocurrency more than anyone else. And on the next Get Wealthy, Professor Tanya Evans joins us to talk all things crypto. Crypto presents a really interesting opportunity for direct peer-to-peer access to uh, the potential for extraordinary wealth. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. So do me a favor and think for one second about your mother. What comes to mind? Probably too many things to comprehend right now. Our moms, whether they're with us or not, are still probably the most impactful person in our lives. On the next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. A tribute to our mothers. You won't want to miss it here on Black Star Network. I'm Angie Stone. Hi, I'm Teresa Griffin. Oh, Roland. Hey, Roland. I am so disappointed that you are not here, first of all. Um, where's our dance? It's like we get a dance in every time I see you. And so now you're not here for me to dance with, sir. You and your ascot. I need it. I need that in my life right now. Okay. Um, I love you, Roland. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, right before the break, I was talking about the Biden-Harris administration is keeping his promise to relieve Americans for, uh, from their student loan debt. So another 110,000 student loan borrowers have had $6.8 billion discharged. Now, this is from the changes made to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Uh, there was an article from Forbes.com back in March 1st, 2022, that I talked about on the African History Network show. And it talked about how changes to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program could allow an additional 1 million student loan borrowers to have their debt forgiven. Uh, so far, so this $6.8 billion is in addition to the $17 billion that has already been discharged by the Biden-Harris administration as well. Uh, and it's all, now it's uh, about 800,000 people under the Biden-Harris administration that have had student loan debt discharged. So while people are waiting for Biden to wave a magic wand and discharge all student loan debt, he's not going to do that. He said that uh, earlier this week. Uh, this is taking place right now, and people can take advantage of this. I want to go to uh, my panel here, because I think this is really important uh, to talk about. I've been watching the uh, uh, Secretary Miguel Cardona, uh, Secretary of Education, continually talk about student loan debt that's being discharged, while at the same time, a lot of people, especially a lot of African Americans I see on social media, are, are just waiting for student loan debt to be discharged. But a lot of us can take advantage of this right now. Uh, I want to go to uh, Matt on this first. Uh, Matt, do you have any comments on this? And what, uh, in, in, in Texas, and you teach at a college as well, how do you think something like this will help uh, African-American college students or people who have student loan debt? I think this is a, a wonderful decision, particularly because I know a number of people like me who were prosecutors or in government service for an, a number of years who actually got denied. Um, before they released this, just the other day, I was having a conversation with a, a former colleague of mine who has uh, 10 years in service and applied and got denied. So uh, in my own life, I know that this will affect me, considering there were a number of years that I was a part of this program. I think this will incentivize people not only going to government service, but staying in government service. Because in a number of industries, including the practice of law and others, you know, people think of government service for a couple years and they go and then they try to go private sector right. so they can make significantly more money. And I think this will 
allow us one to to keep people of uh, good caliber and of good um, you know acumen in their respective uh, fields in the government because they know it'll actually be forgiven. But beyond that, the bigger part is the boom that it'll it'll give to the economy and it'll give to particularly young families, young people who might otherwise be interested in buying a house but are dissuaded because they've got to make a gargantuan student loan payment every month. So I think this is a great thing. I think it's a great thing, particularly for graduates of like HBCUs and, and other uh, people who are saddled by this debt, uh, but who have been working in service of the government. I think it's a really, really good thing. And I also think that, you know, it's, it's a long time coming. I'm glad that they're keeping their promise on it. But if you look at the conversations that are being had about student loan forgiveness, there is a pretty clear demarcation with generations. I feel like younger people understand it. They feel almost like they were sold a bill of goods about getting an education mm -hmm. and how to finance it. So they're behind uh, student loan forgiveness. And I think that will continue to improve and permeate other generations once it's seen, you know, the economic benefit that comes from it. So I think it's a very positive thing, and I'm glad to see them doing it. All right, excellent. I'm coming to you here in just a second, Kelly. If we look at this article here from Bloomberg.com, uh, U.S. forgives $6.8 billion in public service uh, worker student loans. It says the relief, which the Department of Education says, says will average about $60,000 per borrower, is being given after President Joe Biden made changes to the program in October 2021, under which nonprofit and government employees can have their federal student loan debt forgiven after 10 years or 120 payments. Uh, we know African-American women disproportionately carry more student loan debt than uh, uh, coming graduated from undergraduate school than uh, uh, white students as well. What type of impact do you think this will have, Kelly? And uh, do, do you think this will impact people that you know personally? That's a tricky question only because I know a lot of people who are both uh, with just the bachelor's degree, but also sure. those with bachelor's and postgraduate degrees. So for mm -hmm. those of my colleagues and associates and friends who have, you know, who stopped their education process, at least formal education process with just the bachelor's degree, this will be huge for them because like you said, the average amount of debt for someone with a bachelor's um, is around 60K. So that would help them a great deal. But on the other end of this, like myself and plenty of people who are on the postgraduate side of things, we're looking at six-figure debt that cannot be paid off in 10 years, per se. Or rather, right. we can't afford to take the government job to do the 120 mm -hmm. payments to pay it off right. in 10 years. So take that, a that is the issue that <laughs> a lot of people have. Say again? I said a lot of times you have to take a pay cut to take a government job. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So the it, and that's a large reason why I haven't gone into public service in in that vein because I literally can't afford to <laughs> even though that's where my heart has been for a long time, I literally cannot afford to do it. So for people in my bracket when it comes to debt. I actually know people who have way more debt than I do. I know someone who has half a million dollars in debt after uh, going to undergrad, master's, uh, PhD, or JD, what have you. The 60K is like the interest rate. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's the interest payment. So it, it it's a tricky question. It, it is helpful for many, but not for all. So until we get to the all part of it, which is, you know, people like me, people like the people I just described, 
it, it's still going to be a huge issue when you have debt that costs more than your house. <clears throat> wow, wow. Uh, CNBC also has a, a story about this as well for May 4th, 2022. Education Department forgives loans of more than 110,000 people in public service. Uh, Dr. Jason Nichols, so you teach at a university as well. I know you know a lot of people who take out student loans, things like this. Um, what impact do you think this will have? And have you talked to any people maybe who graduated from college who've had student, their student debt forgiven either through this program or another one from the, from the Department of Education? So I haven't actually directly spoken to anyone who has uh, said to me that they've had their, their loans forgiven through these programs. Uh, I know a lot of people were looking for uh, President Biden to make this uh, a sweeping legislation that just wiped away uh, all student debt. He has made it clear that he's not going to do that. He, he's made it, he made that clear, actually, even during the campaign, that he wasn't going to do that. Um, and I, I will say that, uh, you know, I think it does help. I think $60,000 is, is a down payment on a house uh, in a lot of places in this country. Uh, so it, I think it is an important and a significant amount of money. 60K is 60K, you know, even for people who have who are saddled with huge amounts of debt, $60,000 versus nothing, which is what you've gotten for the last, you know, 10 years, uh, I think it is significant. But as Kelly said, there, there are people out there who are taken advantage of, uh, who are just trying to get an education to better their prospects, to have a family. And they've had to postpone all of that because of the way, um, you know, this debt system that we have works. And, you know, I think there are things that we need to reform about education. I think public uh, college, and I work at one, uh, right. I think public universities should be free, tuition free. Uh, you pay for the other services, but certainly tuition uh, should be free and, and we should find other ways. Now, I know, you know, people will complain about taxes, but education betters society. A more educated society is a is a stronger and better society. And so I, I think that that should be a benefit that all citizens have. And you can't say that we can't do it, because if you go to other countries in Europe and the Middle East, some places they actually pay you to be a student. They give you a stipend uh, to right. study because they realize the value for society. So I think this goes into other pieces of legislation that could actually help, uh, you know, people in the future uh, so they won't be saddled with debt. Okay, thank you. Now, also, so people know, the article from Bloomberg.com goes on to say the White House has been looking into whether President Joe Biden has the legal authority to forgive student loan debt through executive action. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, we know she's leaving. We know Corinne, Corinne Jean-Pierre is going to be the new White House Press Secretary. But Jen Psaki said on Tuesday that the president was considering limiting his student loan forgiveness program to Americans earning less than $125,000. Forgiveness of $10,000 per borrower would clear loans for 15 million borrowers. And also, uh, I encourage people to read the article from businessinsider.com that uh, came out yesterday. Former Obama lawyer says Biden likely does not have the legal standing to cancel student debt broadly. This was picked up from the Wall Street Journal, so check that out as well. Okay, um, our next story here, and I've been uh, following this a little bit as well. The search for a murder suspect and an Alabama corrections officer 
is now focused in Tennessee, where the couple's getaway vehicle was found. Uh, Casey Cole White, Casey Cole White and Vicki White, who are unrelated, vanished from the jail last Friday. Vicki was supposed to be transporting the inmate to the court, uh, to court for a <laughs> mental health evaluation. They ditched the patrol car and have not and, and have not been seen since. Officials discovered the two had a special relationship, quote unquote, special relationship, over the last two years. She even visited him in prison and gave him special privileges and food. Vicky put in retirement paperwork and sold her house recently. They both have warrants and they are considered armed and dangerous. And we see the video of the getaway here and we, we see their pictures here as well. Um, I want to go to my panel on this because when I first heard about this story, I didn't want to jump to conclusions, but I said, I think they got a little something, something going on. Uh, <laughs> so we have two attorneys <laughs> and, a, and a professor, <laughs> a historian here. So let's go to, <laughs> let's go to Kelly on this one. Let's go with <laughs> Kelly. So Kelly, <laughs> what, <laughs> have you been following this story? What, what'd you think about What'd you think about this? I mean, I, I perused it, right? Like, I wasn't fully invested because, like you said, when I first heard it, I was just like, oh, they're together. This is like a body, Bonnie and Clyde situation, and I figured they would be caught relatively soon, and we'd go about our day. Um, I'm more surprised that this is not the case. Like, they are still on the run. All we have found of them is a car that is clearly abandoned. So I, I, I don't know what to think other than they're going to get caught eventually. You know, right. I'm curious to see how the police are going to interact with them. You know what I mean? Like, we are dealing with a convicted felon <laughs> and a soon-to-be convicted felon. Um, how is the police going to interact with this white couple when they are armed and dangerous, right? Um, right. That is something that I'm curious to see, as opposed to, you know, yet another black person killed for just existing. Exactly, exactly. Let's go to Matt on this. You know, I, I saw the story on Good Morning America. I saw the sheriff uh, is either this morning or yesterday morning, and the sheriff had a message for them. He said, he said, Vicky, you know how this is going to end up. You know, you, you, you know, you've been down this road before. You know, they, yeah. they chased down, run, they chased down criminals before who escaped from prison. He, he said, you should just turn yourself in. So, so Matt, uh, what do you? What are your thoughts on this one here? I think this is going to make a good movie, too, but what are your thoughts on this, Matt? Well, I will tell you, brother, I triple-jumped, long-jumped to conclusions when I heard this. I said, I know exactly <laughs> what's going on. She helped this man escape, and uh, that's her That's her boo. I can't be mad at her. Uh, actually, I can, because as a lawyer, I'm sure she's she's uh, she's gotten some, uh, some advice or has at least consulted counsel, because obviously it's very high, hard to hide... Um, you know, particularly when your your face is plastered everywhere all over uh, the United States. And, you know, jokes aside, what I do think is really interesting about this and insidious in a way is there was a lot of like, plausible deniability. The media, at least the reports I saw at first, they were concerned that she had been um, maybe abducted or that something, you know, uh, nefarious had happened, right? But what's right, interesting about that is they didn't start they didn't start out with the evidence that would disabuse you of that notion, for instance that she had put in retirement papers, that she had this long mm -hmm. relationship with him. 
Um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of your, your people are thinking that is not the benefit of the doubt that a black victim gets when a police officer shoots and kills him, right? Um, they don't exactly. get that benefit of the doubt. They immediately start, um, you know, uh, denigrating them or, or trotting out everything they think that's been done negative in their life to indicate that this person wasn't actually a victim. So I do think from a media coverage standpoint, this is instructive to further show the point that we see, that when it comes to white people, often there's a benefit of the doubt. But as it relates to them staying on the lam and, and not... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Getting caught, I don't think it'll be too long before they're caught, and I think they will look very foolish in court because this is very obvious, like that they, you know, perpetuated this ruse. So uh, some lawyer somewhere is going to make a lot of money off this, I'm sure. <clears throat> exactly, and you know, I know there are laws against convicted felons selling their story and making movies and things like this, but you know, this, I mean, 
the guy, also the guy's six nine. So he, I mean, he's. You can't just have somebody who who's six nine, okay? A white guy six I nine, know that. And, and and his face is plastic and everything. You everywhere. You can't just have him. Uh, Jason, uh, <laughs> what what do you think about this story? Well, the the first thing I thought, you know, a headline flashed in my head, and that is, you know, the whites are at it again. Um, and of course, I mean Casey and Vicky White. You know, I wasn't Casey and Vicky White. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, this white couple, um, Casey and Vicky, uh, they they really, first of all, just being someone who's watched a lot of those kinds of movies, uh, this is going to be just like prison because they're not really free. Whenever you're on the run uh, and whenever right. you're an escape convict, you're basically, it's another form of prison. Um, so they're enjoying their time together perhaps right now but they're going to realize they're not free, they can't go places, and it is very hard um, to hide when you are a six-foot-nine, uh, mm -hmm. you know, individual anywhere, and, you know, and you're not uh, debt-left shrimp for, you know, or uh, some other white six-foot-nine guy. Um, so he's right. going to... They're, they're going to be caught, and this woman has... I don't know what kind of family she has, but she's ruined things for her family. She's ruined their reputation. She's going to spend time in prison. I don't know if she has children, but uh, she separated herself from her other loved ones for this, you know, quick maybe couple of weeks that she gets to spend with this guy. And I think she should have just lobbied for a conjugal visit or something like that. And maybe it would have been, uh, you know, that would have been worth it rather than what she's about to endure. And uh, this individual, I guess he had nothing to lose, but she certainly right. did, and she made a terrible choice. Yeah, I think uh, they're going to realize, you know, this sounded really good when we were planning it, but it, 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 this is not turning out the way we thought this was going to really end up. All right, uh, next story. In Colorado, a former police officer gets five years in prison for the brutal arrest of an elderly, elderly woman with dementia, Okay. Um, in June 2020, Austin Hopp attempted to arrest Karen Garner after receiving a shoplifting call from a local Walmart. Um, Karen Garner returned the $13 worth of merchandise she allegedly took. When Garner did not comply with Hopp's orders, he slammed her to the ground, breaking her, breaking her arm, spraining her wrist, and separating her shoulder. And we have the video here. I remember when this happened and remember seeing this here on actually on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Now, Hop pleaded guilty to assault. His partner. Okay, and we have the pictures here. Uh, his partner, Daria Jaleel, Jaleo, J A L A L I, Jaleel. Uh, faces misconduct and failure to interview to failure to intervene charges for her role in the incident. Okay, um, I want to go to my panel on this. Now, this is a strange story. This may not be politically correct, but here we see uh, a Karen getting justice. Okay, I know it ain't politically correct, but anyway, here we see a Karen getting justice. Okay, <laughs> she's not the one <laughs> who was in the wrong here. But I remember seeing this. And um, once again, this is an example of how some people 
just should not be police officers. And uh, in, in my mind, and seeing this and reading what happened, I don't think they had to treat it like this. I want to I want to go to Jason first on this. Jason, um, what what are your thoughts here? Well, I, you know, first of all, I remember seeing that video here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, and I think it is so incredibly troubling. The woman returned the merchandise, thirteen dollars. Mm -hmm. There was absolutely no need. I'm not even sure there was a reason for an arrest. But yes. to violently slam her to the ground, you had a female officer who was there, um, you know, who was present and probably could have handled that in a different way. Instead, they get aggressive with this woman. And again, I think it becomes, and, and with the, the risk of sounding insensitive, and, and I feel for this victim, but mm -hmm. it's almost like the chickens come home to roost. Once black people start getting abused, it eventually is going to move out, and other people uh, who would normally be privileged, they start getting abused, too, because, you know, power starts to corrupt, and then they start going, you know, even into other communities thinking they can do everything and to anyone. And this is obviously a working-class person, too. This isn't a rich woman, and I don't think they would right. have done that to a rich woman. You know, so there's right. a class element here um, that needs to be spoken of. Yes, she's, she's white. But she's, you know, she's obviously not rich if she's shoplifting $13 worth of, worth of merchandise. So instead of actually having any kind of compassion, I'm not even, you know, sure that that person, like I said, should have been arrested. Instead of having mm -hmm. compassion, you slam her to the ground, and then you do what we're seeing on the screen. To me, it's despicable, and that guy should be in prison. You know, um, Matt, when, if people, I, you know, I, I tell my listeners to uh, check out from the Washington Post the, the database called um, Fatal Force, Fatal Force. Uh, Fatal Force from the Washington Post uh, documents each year police killings, okay? And they have them broken down by race, whether the suspect had, was unarmed, armed, what type of weapon they had, things like this. Each year... Uh, and it's been this way for the past number of years. Each year, there are more white people shot and killed by police than African Americans. Now, we're disproportionately shot and killed by police. And, but there are more white people uh, killed each year by police than African Americans. And one of the things that I, I ask is, um, where are the body cam footage and the cell phone footage of white people being shot and killed by police? I know they have them. Because when you look at Fatal Force, it even breaks it down by whether there was video, what type of video. And if 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 uh, cable news and social media was flooded with images of being of white people being shot and killed by police, I, I think you can get the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed. Uh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, you know, you're exactly right, Michael. And I think that that's important. I actually, in my career, have had more white civil rights clients than I have black civil rights clients. And I think what is, one, driving that is it doesn't go to the narrative that we are making a bigger deal about something that needs to be made, when, in fact, this is an issue with policing across the board, to your point. What's particularly insidious about this, I think Jason covered all of the elements of the video very well, is the fact that, in this case, Ms. Garner will likely have a settlement, particularly because she's an, an older woman and this is particularly heinous with, with that element. But these are still incredibly hard cases to vindicate. What is so sad about this is looking at this video, they'll probably settle this case because of the publicity. But this is the kind of case that happens every single day where a circuit, particularly like where I practice, the Fifth Circuit, 
finds a way to say qualified immunity shields these officers. Um, the, I mean, Jason hit it, the nail on the head. This woman allegedly stole $13 of merchandise that she returned. The idea that an officer even taking her into custody, let alone with force, would be justified and okay following that <clears throat> is absurd, right, to just normal people. But the law right. allows it to happen. And this is the rare instance where the officers pled guilty, probably because of all those aggravating factors. But what really needs to happen systemically is qualified immunity has to be abolished. Because every day, people are abused by the police in ways this bad and considerably worse. And every day, they get poured out by a panel of judges who says it's okay that the officer did it that way. So until we fix the, the legal hurdle to plaintiffs getting um, justice in these cases, this will be the aberration, not the standard uh, response to the rule. Uh, Kelly? I echo the sentiments of everyone here. This story hits different for me because I have a soft spot for the elderly, period. Mm -hmm. Like, you mm -hmm. just need to respect your elders. But the fact that this woman also had dementia and she was still mm -hmm. treated in this way is just another level of just rage that I feel on behalf of the victim in this case, white, black, or indifferent. Um, like, what Jason said regarding how it feels like this is, you know, kind of trickling outward uh, away from just uh, assaulting Black people as mm -hmm. um, in, in your capacity as police officers. It reminds me of kind of how, like, we as the Black community were just warning about how the war on drugs was just, you know, it wasn't a war on drugs. It was a very racist, insidious system of, you know, incarceration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as soon as it hit the suburbs, all of a sudden we now have rehab centers for people and things like that. <laughs> I wonder what the repercussions will be once enough white people die at the hands of law enforcement. Hopefully that means we'll get some type of social work component to law enforcement. Hopefully that means we'll have some mental health component to law enforcement. Hopefully that means we'll have more uh, uh, a more common occurrence of people on on councils, so to speak, like a, a police officer, citizen council to monitor situations like this. It's unfortunate that it takes a white person or just a non-black person to make change in this country. But if that's what it's going to take, then let it happen. Um, but I'm glad that this woman is getting justice. I'm glad she didn't die. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, I'm, I'm glad yeah, that you know, this is not one of those situations like George Floyd or like Sandra Bland. It is unfortunate that it happened at all. But if it if that is what it's going to take for some form of criminal justice reform, then, you know, thank you, kind of. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and yeah, Michael, you know, can I add something very go, quick? Go ahead, oh, go ahead, Matt. I was go just going to add, I, I, if, if I remember correctly, Colorado is actually the state or one of the states that implemented a uh, law where they don't have a shield for qualified immunity on the state side. So if I'm remembering correctly, I think that probably played a big role into this because there the officers don't get that shield from the state charges or on the state side in terms of civil liability. And that is instructive as it relates to what other states can do in terms of their legislatures in making sure that this is actually going to be something where people can be held accountable. Because I think Jason and, and Kelly hit the nail on the head about this trickling out 
But frankly, you're not going to have an, an overall response to this until you start having wealthy, educated, well-to-do, well-heeled white people who are getting body slammed by the police, because then they'll make it a real issue. Whereas now it's always a one-off that it is, you know, right. either a person of color or it's uh, a person with dementia or someone else who doesn't fit the mold of the model citizen to whom this would never happen. Right. All right. Um, the cop responsible for a $75 million civil suit against Prince George's County uh, Police Department is facing up to 10 years in prison for his role in a traffic stop that left a man paralyzed. A Prince George's County judge found Bryant Strong guilty of second-degree assault, misconduct in office, and reckless endangerment charges. DeMonte Ward-Blake was left paralyzed from the waist down and suffered a broken nose after the police dragged him to the, dragged him to the ground, landed on his neck during a traffic stop in 2019. Officer Strong's sentencing is scheduled for July 21, 2022. Next, we go to the Darren Chauvin uh, plea plea deal. Uh, the ex-cop convicted in George Floyd's death agrees to a plea deal in the federal case against him. Wednesday, a judge accepted the plea deal between Derek Chauvin and federal authorities, federal authorities sentencing him to 20 to 25 years in prison for violating George Floyd's civil rights. This sentence will be served concurrently with his 22-and-a-half-year sentence from his murder conviction at the state level. According to the plea deal filing, uh, uh, Derek Chauvin will serve between 17 and 21 years behind bars. A pardoned Chicago man reaches a $7.5 million settlement with a northern Indiana city and former police officers for his 1996 wrongful conviction. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb pardoned Keith Cooper in 2017 after spending more than seven years in prison. Governor Holcomb said he believed Cooper was wrongf wrongfully convicted of an armed robbery where a teenager got shot. A judge later expunged Cooper's conviction. Cooper's attorney says the $7.5 million... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It's the largest wrongful conviction settlement in Indiana history. R- Roland Martin and Filter will be right back after this break. You're watching the Black Star Network. to the launch of the Mass Poor People's Low Wage Assembly and Moral March on Washington, D.C., June 18, 2022. We're rising up to demonstrate the compelling power that we, poor and low-income people, have to reconstruct society from the bottom up. And we need to do it with the loudest voices possible, the biggest actions possible. Because we know that there is no scarcity in this land. The only scarcity is the moral will to do what's right. those with sub-minimum wage jobs who can't afford sky-high rent. People with disabilities are the fastest growing minority group. It's crazy to me that in 2021, it's still legal for workplaces to pay a sub-minimum wage to people with disabilities. There are still so much trial and tribulations that we go through as indigenous people. We can't get a decent wage to sustain ourselves, nor can we get adequate housing. Veterans across this nation say enough is enough. 
We can't pat essential workers on the back on one day and then cut their health care the next day. Health is a political choice. What more do I need to do to prove that my voice is just as valuable as anyone else's? There are still forces in denial that would try to slow walk our transition to a clean economy and a just future for us all. We have an immoral system run by immoral people. But together we walk, and we walk and we fight. It's time for a change. Reconstruyamos esta gran nación. See, we are people of resilience as we fight these interlocking injustices together. When we work together, mobilize together, and rise together, we become a voice for the voiceless, and we become an agent of change in a time where great change is needed. We need the third reconstruction to ensure that deaf people, people with disabilities, and all people can have the right to live and to thrive. We know what they are doing, but the question is, what are we going to do? Reconstruction begins when we change our mentality and say it's time for you to get your foot off of my neck. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. As Mother's, as Mother's Day approaches, we want to highlight the hardworking and courageous mothers in the Poor People's Campaign. On June 18th, the Poor People's and Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington and to the polls will take place here in Washington, D.C. to represent the 140 million low-wage workers across the country. One of those folks helping to organize the march is Kenya Alcozer. Kenya is an undocumented organizer with Union de Vecinos, the east side local of the Los Angeles Tenants Union. She crossed the desert from Mexico, where her family at the age of three and, and is now a leader in the California Poor People's Campaign and a steering committee member of the National Poor People's Campaign. Her goal is to improve housing security and living conditions for poor and dispossessed people in Los Angeles. Kenya Alcozer joins us from Los Angeles. How are you doing today, Kenya? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having us here. All right, thank you for coming on to uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. So, uh, can you tell people uh, about the uh, Poor People's and Low Wage Workers Assembly of Moral uh, March on Washington, D.C., that's taking place June 18th? Tell people why is this so important? You know, one of the things that I've learned through the campaign is that we can no longer be fighting by ourselves in our own issues. Um, as a woman of color, as an undocumented immigrant, as a tenant, as a worker, I need to unite with all of our brothers and sisters to really push back against everything. The pandemic showed us 
that we are impacted by everything every day. Um, and we need to be pushing for everything. We need to be fighting against systemic racism. We need to be fighting against poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, militarism, and a very distorted moral narrative. And we've seen this, that the pandemic is possible to organize and to keep pushing back. Okay, now talk about the work that you do with the Los Angeles Tenants Union. So with Los Angeles Tenants Union, we are tenants that are coming together to organize ourselves. Um, while we're being evicted illegally, while we are not giving the support that we need from our government, our city, state government, we are organizing, um, whether it's to put people back in their homes after they've been illegally evicted, whether it's doing projects of survival like food distribution, um, informing tenants of their rights and continuing to push our lawmakers to ensure that tenants are not evicted um, because they have been burdened by the pandemic and they don't have jobs currently still. Okay. Now, when we look at, so what are some of the uh, laws that you want passed uh, in this current Congress, this current uh, 117th Congress. We know uh, Democrats control the House of Representatives, but in the Senate, it's a 50-50 Senate, and most bills in the Senate, you need 60 votes, which means you need 10 Republicans to vote for them. So what are maybe the top two or three bills uh, that you want to get passed through Congress that will help uh, the Poor People's Campaign? Well, I think that there are a lot of things that can be worked out, and I see that the Build Back Better bill was something that we were really pushing for because it addressed a lot of the needs of the nation. Um, but right now, I think that we are asking for bills and money to be distributed to our communities. We are asking for bills that are helping tenants not be evicted, bills that are pushing back against some of the things that are happening in certain states. I mean. Border suppression is one of those things that we really need to stop in order for people to be able to voice their, their opinions and their votes towards things that they do want to happen in their communities. Um, and these are things that I think the Poor People's Campaign has been addressing over the last three, four years, and we need to continue to push. Um, we are seeing that there is no political will to, to do the things that the community needs and what community really wants. But this political will for wars, and that is something that we're pushing back against. All this money that is being funded towards wars and it's defunding um, programs, it's something that... Okay, I think we're having a little technical difficulties here with Kenya. Okay, can you hear me, Kenya? All right. Yes. Okay. 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 We've had Kenya back. All right. So uh, very quickly, then I'm going to go to our panel, see if they have any questions for you. Um, be, be, besides the march, which really draws attention to the issues and helps uh, galvanize people around the, around the issues and allows you to inform people about them, are you able to persuade any elected officials? Are you able to change the way they think and change their vote to actually get bills passed? Or have you ha have you all been able to do that in the past? 
We have. Um, we have Barbara Lee that has been supporting with the third reconstruction um, resolution. And I think that we've been having meetings with Congress and other politicians to really push back. Uh, I really do believe that the only way we're going to win this it's with people uniting and these mass mobilizations are only one part of the strategy to really change and shift the narrative of what's happening today and really change where the direction in which our nation is going okay i'm going to go to my panel see if they have any questions for you kenya uh let's start with kelly kelly do you have any uh questions for kenya alcozer Sure. So I'm looking on the website now, and it appears that some of your part, two of your partners are uh, Repairs of the Breach and Cairo Center for Religions, Rights, and Social Justice. Are there other partners that you would like to shout out that will be at the march or are helping uh, fundraise for the march? And for us individuals, what can we do to help um, you further this cause outside of simply attending for those of us who can't? Yes, so we have a lot of churches that are involved in this process from different denominations. I think that that's very important to shout out. Like we have our Jewish brothers and sisters, Muslim brothers and sisters that are joining the campaign, Unitarian churches. Um, it's not just uh, a Christian-led movement. And, and we, we, we have folks that are non-faith-based that are also part of this. But we also have... Um, for example, here in Los Angeles, Black Lives Matter LA, that it's um, part of our coordinating committee and our steering committee. We have SEIU, who has the Fight for 15 that are working with us in, in this campaign. I mean, we have a lot of partners nationally, and we have a lot of folks here locally that are working towards this campaign. And as individuals, I think that that is important. If you want to support our campaign, you can do so by joining us at June 18th in December, or by helping a poor, dispossessed person to get there. Um, we do have, um, you can go to the website and you can donate to get people out there. We're getting buses. Some of us from California are gonna be driving six days there and back to, to really voice our opinions and, and, and to really be a part of this. Um, and we, it's really important for us to, to, to make sure that everybody who wants and needs to go there and wants to voice their opinion, it's, it's welcome. All right, uh, let's go to Matt. Matt, did you have a question for Kenya? I did, I did, Kenya. My question for you is what have you seen in terms of an infusion in energy or an optimism as it relates to the labor portion of this, particularly uh, as we see um, the Amazon union success in Staten Island and I guess kind of more rumblings around the country. What is the sentiment right now about how that is going to continue helping workers and how we can leverage that momentum? You know, I, I'm here from LA and we've been unionizing workers and asking for unions for workers to be a part of. I mean, we had a huge campaign um, 10 years ago with car wash um, workers. Um, we have unions where um, day laborers are, are, are making their voices heard. So for us, this is the moment, this is the time where workers can see themselves not just as workers but as human beings and that they can see themselves attached to many of these movements. A lot of these folks are getting harassed at work, getting harassed at home by their ho homeowners, are getting their landlords getting harassed. 
um, everywhere. And, and, and this is something that needs to stop. I think this is the year of worker power. This is the year where workers are coming together and are realizing that they have powers in numbers. And that's why this moral march in, in D.C., where we're calling to workers, especially low-wage workers, it's going to be critical and important to continue the movement of unionizing. And Jason, did you have a question for Kenya? Yes, I did. Thank you, Kenya, for, for being with us and taking time and for the work that you do out there in L.A. and nationwide. My question is about, is on the political side of things, uh, you talked earlier about convincing uh, politicians to get involved, obviously, with Build Back Better that failed with Joe Manchin. Um, I'm wondering, is there any effort to run your own candidates? I always tell my students that you don't have to always convince uh, other politicians, you can also just run for office. So is there any effort to run your own candidates uh, to get some of the results and to advocate for what it is uh, that you would like to see? Um, I'll just, as a sidebar, it really frustrates me um, that when I think of a, a disabled candidate, you know, the first person that comes to mind in government is Madison Cawthorn. And that frustrates me. We should have more representation of disabled people that are actually moral and actually have and actually stand for good things. But that's just a sidebar. Um, and I wanted to see what you guys, what your efforts were. Did you so hear that? Uh, we Kenya? Are... Okay. Go yes, ahead. I did. Um, so we're a nonpartisan movement. Um, we don't give the stage to politicians. We persuade them to do the work that they need to do. And we are not a party. We're, we're a campaign. We're a movement. So, no, we are not um, thinking of, uh, like, pushing elected officials to or community members to go out and become elected officials. But I will say this. We have inspired a lot of folks. From our ranks, a lot of folks have decided to go and run for um, offices, um, whether it's locally, whether it's statewide. And I think that that is something that we are able to influence. Um, I, I think this, this campaign, it's, it's thinking of how we, as people, start also shifting ourselves and moving ourselves to a different direction. All right. Well, we have the uh, information up here on the screen. June 18th, 2022, Moral March on Washington. Well, Kenya, good luck to you all, and thanks for coming on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thank you so much. All right. We turn to uh, North Carolina. Um, North Carolina's highest court refuses to hear the appeal of the driving force behind the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, it's not Reverend William Barber, it's not Reverend a, William Barber II, was convicted of trespassing during a 2017 demonstration inside the legislative building. I think we have the video here. Okay, the decision comes after a December ruling by the Court of Appeals, siding with the state meaning Reverend William Barber II's second-degree trespass conviction is final. Jurors had found uh, Reverend William Barber guilty after he led a call and response chant with roughly 50 people outside uh, Senate leader Phil Berger's 
office protesting poor health care spending. A court of appeals judge wrote the barber's free speech rights uh, were not harmed by his arrest, stating he was, stating he, quote, was not expelled from the General Assembly for the content of his words. He was removed uh, for their volume, end quote. Now, the North Carolina Supreme Court also granted the North Carolina Supreme Court also granted the state uh, state attorney's request to dismiss the appeal motion for Barber's attorney. Roland Martin Unfiltered will be right back here on the Black Star Network. When I first moved to LA, me and Joe lived together, right? right. And, and it was that was a big blessing because I didn't have to worry about paying rent. You know, right. I was struggling, right. doing my thing. And that was a big, big help. And then I think when I moved out, I think that's when I saw the division. Because I think Joe, I, Joe felt like I didn't need him anymore. Right. And it wasn't that. It was like, I'm a grown-ass man. Two grown-ass men. Yeah, but life. actually, that's, well, that is true. You don't need him anymore. Right. When, when you grow up, I mean, first of all, you, when you grow up, it's like, hey, you yeah. help. And this time, you get your ass out the house right. and go do your own thing. Right. He didn't want me to move out. But I'm like, you know what? At the time when I moved out... I mean, what? Were you paying a light bill? I wasn't paying he... anything. And, and I said, you know what? I need to. I need this responsibility. It's going to make me work harder in my career if I know I got rent to pay. I got right. bills to pay. I was paying a cell phone bill. That was it. Right. No, but Joe was treating me like a little butler. Like, <laughs> because so I'm telling you, I was like Benson. Now, I'm telling you, man... Please fetch Yo, me some water. He was using the Jedi mind tricks. Yo, man, you still make them good grilled cheese sandwiches you made when you were little? <laughs> no, you don't. You know, next thing I'm at the, I'm at the stove. <laughs> Flip it. And then it dawned on me. Check me again. Got me again. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Jaleel Turner has been missing for over two months. The 17-year-old was last seen on February 22nd in Bristol, Virginia. He's 5 feet 7 inches tall, weighs 140 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Jaleel Turner should call the Prince William County, Virginia Police Department at 703-792-6500. Well, it's been confirmed that Kevin Samuels, the controversial self-proclaimed social media dating expert, has died. He was 56 years old. According to the police report, EMS was called to uh, Kevin's home Thursday, Thursday morning for a person injured and found Kevin unresponsive on the floor of his apartment. EMS transported him to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. Samuels had a significant following on social media and often sparked debates with his hot takes on dating and relationships. Okay, and that's to put it mildly, all right? So um, I had waited, I'm gonna go to my panel on this here. I had waited to um, post about him passing away till I really got it confirmed. I know Roland Martin was trying to confirm it uh, last night. We saw stories on social media. The information was very, very sketchy. It was like the man sitting next to the man sitting next to the man said something. Or, you know, it, it was nobody's name for most of the reports. I read numerous articles, and I was trying to confirm it before I posted about it. Um, I saw the article from NBC News this morning. And they actually talked to his mother. They got they got a confirmation from his mother. And I'm going to go to you uh, first on this, Kelly, if you don't mind. Uh, they talked to his mother. And one of the sad things about it is his mother said um, his mother's name is uh, Beverly Samuels Birch. His mother said she found out that her son was dead from social media. And she was upset because the authorities didn't contact her or anything like this first. First off, so 
I know he's controversial. I really didn't follow him. The, 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 the information I saw about him wasn't too flattering, wasn't too positive. But this is somebody who died, and he passed away Thursday morning. He passed away basically three days before Mother's Day. So now his mother has to deal with uh, arranging, making funeral arrangements for her son, uh, you know, right before Mother's Day. So, Kelly, I, you and I, we follow each other on Instagram, and I saw your uh, Instagram post uh, about um, uh, Kevin Samuel. Kevin Samuel. So, uh, did you have any comments on this? Of course I do. Um, <laughs> to the family of Kevin Samuels, I, uh, ha you have my condolences, just from an ethical <laughs> standpoint. A mother lost her child, and that mm -hmm. is something that you, there's no word for when a mother loses their child. You have a widow when, you know, uh, a person loses their spouse, you you are an orphan when you lose your parents, but there's no real word in the English language, to my knowledge, for when a parent loses a child. So that's how devastating this is for the family of Kevin Samuels. And with that, you have my condolences. But that said, um, that notwithstanding, rather, his legacy is more than that of one son. His legacy is more than that of one's father, my understanding is that he does have children, his legacy, by and large, is that of a hateful misogynist. And as a Black woman who had to basically navigate through his rhetoric for the past basically two years, because my understanding of him was, you know, it, his, his cult, so to speak, kind of grew during the pandemic on Clubhouse, um, as someone who had to navigate through those waters, it is incredibly hypocritical and almost a, a sense of poetic justice to me that this man died in the very way and from the very thing he cursed onto fat black women on his platform. He died of a heart attack and he essentially died alone. And for someone to basically make a living and build a following on the back of Black women in such a disparaging, belittling, degrading way, as if Black women don't deal with enough. I have but so much empathy for the death of this man. Um, and let's just say, you know, people did get some help from him. You know, I saw some anecdotes of men who went to therapy because of him and women who lost weight because of him and things like that. That does not take away the bulk of his rhetoric, which is essentially that Black women were worthless, that they did not have value <laughs> unless you ascribe to Eurocentric standards of beauty and society. And that's simply not true. Further, he did not care about Black women, and yet, because of the low self-esteem that these Black women had on his show, it was under the guise of help anything that came out of his mouth, which wasn't necessarily genuine, authentic, or even true. So, again, the fact... He constantly pushed this notion that fat women were slovenly and had little to no, nothing to do with society. He went so far as to say last month that if you are over 35 and unmarried, that you are leftovers. He 
And what got me was, you know, all of that notwithstanding, he insinuated that if, wait, where's, where's my quote? That basically you should not believe a child if they are accusing a family member of, of, of uh, if they're accusing the family member of molesting them or sexual assaulting them. And for me, that was kind of the straw that broke my back. Like, you can say whatever you want about dating, relationships, what have you, but you're talking about putting children in danger for the sake of the ego of a man? I do not ascribe to that logic. I do not ascribe to that rhetoric. And like I said at the beginning of this segment, while a mother lost a child, the rest of society lost something toxic. We disposed of something toxic yesterday. So with that, I say good riddance. All right. Next time, tell us how you really think, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Matt. <laughs> let's go to Matt. Matt, uh, did you follow well, Kevin Samuels? Did you... Uh, what, what are your thoughts here? You know, I, I've only seen like clips of them. I, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to them really. Uh, I read the statements about uh, 35 and over unmarried or leftovers. I thought that was ridiculous. But um, what, what are your thoughts here, Matt? You know, I don't have anything astute to say. I think Kelly said almost everything I was thinking, and far more eloquently than I could have said it. I, I can count on my hand the number of his videos I watched. Um, mm -hmm. And the little bit that I did see was misogynistic. I mean, I, I've seen, I have seen people on my own social media uh, trying to sanitize the legacy. I mean, there are some people for whom they said, for instance, you know, look, he spoke to men just as critically at the beginning of his posting and then he kind of transitioned to women. Um, and that may be true. I don't have any, any empirical evidence on that, but what I saw was just per se hateful, and it was leveraging hate. It was people watched him because he continued to attack black women and tried to find a way to continually devalue them. And I just, I didn't think that that is, has any redeeming quality. So uh, kind of like Kelly said, you know, I, I have empathy insofar as somebody losing a family member is, is always a, a sad and difficult thing. But in terms of what he put out, the little bit that I saw, I didn't see much redeeming value in it. And you know, we can't continue to allow that to happen. I think that, you know, there are things that can have entertainment value, things that can be relatively innocuous, but we cannot give license to somebody <laughs> to uh, attack Black women, uh, particularly not only because we know how important and valuable and incredible Black women are, but because we are a community, right? Our community aesthetic shouldn't allow that to happen. And that's what this brother was doing in the few videos that I saw and in most of what uh, was posted from my understanding. So my, my thoughts echo Kelly's sentiments. Well, Jason, you, you're a college professor and you teach African-American studies. So have, have any uh, uh, arguments over Kevin Samuels' videos broke out, broken out in your classrooms uh, between African-American <laughs> African-American students at all? What, I'm just wondering, because, you know, in African-American studies, you deal with gender issues, you deal with misogyny, things like this. There was misogyny in the civil rights movement. You know, Roland's talked about that here. That's why Ella Baker was passed over for a permanent leadership position in Southern Christian Leadership Conference, because, you know, Dr. King was a sexist and, and others were sexist. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, I, now you want me to, to kind of go in on the civil rights movement. <laughs> no, I'm just I, I really, just I'm not I, I, I going to go down that rabbit hole, but we, you know, I think that, you know, women's legacy in the civil rights movement, a lot of my students come in not knowing who Ella Baker, Diane Nash, 
who they are, or even knowing names. You know, they all know, you know, John Lewis, but they don't know Diane Nash. Um, but anyway, uh, in terms of, of Kevin Samuels, you know, I've been I've been on social media and I've written posts since I've heard about his death and erased them all uh, before I, you know, press send. Uh, in part because I've, I have this ethos that essentially. If I don't have anything good to say, I won't say anything at all, at least for 24 hours after you die. Um, because of what you said about his mother not knowing about his death, uh, finding it out from social media, other family members might not know. Uh, and I wouldn't want for them to see, you know, not that they would come across my social media magically, but um, for them to see the first thing is me you know, trashing a dead guy. Um, so, like has already been stated, I, you know, I have empathy for his mother. I have empathy for his family members. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe even a, a little bit for his fans, I don't know. Um, but certainly what he said was damaging. Um, and he monetized it. You know, he wasn't just a guy with an opinion he monetized destroying people's self-esteem. And to me, that's despicable, particularly when it's black people. So, you know, uh, one of the points that Matt brought up was, did he, you know, people say he disparaged black men as well as black women. And I don't think that makes it any better. You know, I, really I think doesn't. as a matter of fact, say again, I'm sorry. I said, it really doesn't. I right, I think that, you know, uh, if there's been a people, you know, whose self-esteem and self-worth has been attacked, it's been black people. You know, I would argue more black women, but black men as well. And so we don't need that kind of, you know, cancer from within. Um, now, I will never wish death upon anybody. I don't wish death upon my worst enemy. Um, but, you know, I, I will also be honest about the part of your legacy that I know. I mean, he may have donated some of that money to good causes, and I'll leave it to those people to speak to the good parts of his character, and I hope that they step up uh, and say good things, that the good things he was doing for his community or for his church or whatever. But as far as his public persona and his profession, I think that he did a lot of things that were damaging, and I think it's okay to acknowledge that while also acknowledging his humanity and the fact that he died at 56. He, he was a relatively young man, and there are people who can evolve. Uh, even at, you know, even at 56 years old, you can still evolve. So he died young. Um, he died before he could change or apologize for some of the damage that he did. Uh, within our community. And I know I'm going to get probably a whole lot of comments because every time I've mentioned Kevin Samuels in the past on social media, <clears throat> a bunch of dudes that I don't know come out of the woodwork, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like 85 comments, you know, calling me a simp and all this and that. So, uh, you know, I'm ready for it. You know, I'm, I'm out there. So you can do that. And, and when I die, you can go and say he was a simp. But what I'm saying, like right. what you're saying right now, Jason, they're calling me bitter in the comments right now. 
That, and that is my point. Like, you are reinforcing my point of the toxic waste that he has right. spilled upon the world. And with his passing, at least that faucet has stopped. You know what I'm saying? It just seems just like... Because I'm, like, just because I'm fat does not mean I am bitter. Just because he was talking about fat women does not mean I am bitter towards his comments. I am just speaking truth to power, just like how he was powering lies. It, it's <laughs> it's no different. And like I said, let's, good let's, let's keep it real. I don't really know that many black guys that aren't into full-figured women, to be honest. That's, you know, maybe it's just my friend. I don't have a problem but... dating. I'll say that much. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that either. But I, I I hate the fact that that kind of rhetoric, and not just him, It's not. it wasn't just Kevin Samuels. He didn't invent this lane. There no, were a whole didn't. lot of others who have come before him, you know, uh, who got exposed for certain things, who were exploiting, you know, basically tried to run the opposite racket of Kevin Samuels. And, you know, basically, all it did was cause these kind of gender wars between black men and black women and having us right. fight each other when we need each other. And that, that exactly. was the frustrating thing for me. Exactly, exactly. exactly. All right, uh, our next story takes us to Rochester, New York. And I, I talked about this on the African History Network show. In um, Rochester, New York, a white, uh, um, a white teacher is on administrative leave for allegedly making black students pick cotton and shackling them as part of his social studies lesson. And this was a social studies lesson on slavery. Uh, Precious Tross, uh, Precious Tross, the mother uh, of a seventh grader at Rochester School of the Arts, posted uh, this video on Facebook. Okay, School of the Arts, uh, School of the Arts, uh, my daughter, social studies uh, teacher, grade, seventh grade, count your days, how the hell you make my baby learn how to pick cotton seeds out of the cotton. Um, and, and tell them not to sing that slavery song in your class, uh, way in the water, and the little girl say, yes, massa, and the teacher gonna put this, uh, put his two fingers up and say, yes, I am massa. The uh, Caucasian kids said, I'm not picking no seeds out no cotton. That's not my job and throws it in the trash. And uh, he, he's going to tell them to get on, uh, get on their Chromebooks, um, you know, their, their tablets or Chromebooks, uh, computers. Uh, Y'all, uh, y'all see me in the morning, she said, um, uh, Mother Precious Tross. So the, um, in this story, New York Times has an article on this also. In this story, uh, the, the teacher uh, allegedly told the students to call him Massa in, in the classroom, okay? Uh, the school district confirmed the, the lessons did happen and is investigating the matter. According to reports, the 20-year uh, teaching veteran, uh, Patrick Rosh, R-A-U-S-C-H, had students call him Massa, M-A-S-S-A-H, Massa. Um, he also let white students stop when they wanted, uh, when they stop when they wanted when it came to picking the seeds out of the content. He let the white students stop, but forced the black students to continue the activity. All right. 
Um, I, I know we're coming up here on a break. Uh, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. We'll be right back. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. And on the next Get Wealthy, we're talking cryptocurrency. Does it scare you? Does it confuse you? Well, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Americans are investing in cryptocurrency more than anyone else. And on the next Get Wealthy, Professor Tanya Evans joins us to talk all things crypto. Crypto presents a really interesting opportunity for direct peer-to-peer -peer access to uh, the potential for extraordinary wealth. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Peace and love, everybody. I'm Purple Wonder Love. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. An organization in South L.A. is using education to empower the next generation. The SOLA ICANN Foundation gives black and brown residents access to educational, technological, and economic opportunities. Sherry Francois, Chief Impact Officer and Executive Director of uh, SOLA Impact Foundation, joins us from Los Angeles. How are you doing today, Sherry? I am well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thanks for coming on to Roland Martin Unfiltered. So tell us about the... Um, uh, a Solar ICANN Foundation. Uh, what is it about and how does it teach technology to uh, black and brown uh, students? The Solar ICANN Foundation, it was uh, established to create an environment and access to education and opportunity specifically for black and brown youth in South Los Angeles. Um, we created the Technology Center because we realized that there's an incredible digital divide and a lack of access to additional education, after-school education. And so we worked really hard to bring in a facility and develop a facility that would train and equip our students. We serve youth and young adults. Um, in technology skills that they just don't have access to because a lot of that is pulled after school programming, STEM, STEAM, arts. They're pulled, particularly in our school districts here in LA. And we wanted to make sure that there were no barriers to that and that there were no cost barriers to that. So we offer all of our programming free of charge. And so we're teaching and equipping our students with real world, practical, project-based skills in everything from animation, coding, computer engineering. We have a arts and entertainment path and an entrepreneurship path because we believe that we're creating the next generation of black and brown tech professionals, um, entrepreneurs, and we expect within the next five to 10 years that they will be our next leaders. Excellent, excellent. Now, how long has uh, the Solar ICANN Foundation been in existence? We were established in 2017, so we're a relatively young foundation. Um, but we we knew that there was an incredible need to provide this. And in a very short amount of time, we've been able to establish programs in scholarships, providing black and brown youth educational opportunities for college readiness. We are providing financial literacy. And we understand that there's a basic need to understand um, savings and checking accounts. But 
we're not having enough conversations around the dinner table about what does it mean to become an investor? How do you build wealth? What is passive income? And so we feel that that's the real game changer is to be able to provide that kind of education and having those conversations and planting those seeds. Because if we're going to make a dent in this, in, in combating generational poverty in our communities, this is where we believe we begin. Excellent, excellent. Now, I'm going to go to my panel here in just a minute here, but how many students do you currently have in the program? Right now, we serve uh, roughly 500 students within uh, the capacity of the tech center, but that also bleeds out to some of our other programming. We award 25 scholarships every year to college-bound black and brown students. Um, we have additional workshops, and we're, we're, we're right now getting ready to expand our facility so that we can provide additional programming. So we expect to see over 1,000 students trained and skilled and supported every single year. Okay, now, um, and before I go to the panel, um, what are the age ranges also uh, of the students? Uh, is it uh, elementary school, middle school, high school? How does that break down? Right now, because the, the, um, the programming that we're offering is, again, free of charge to high school and middle school, and we're excited high to announce that we're school. going to be expanding and taking in students as young as eight and offering adult programming um, for those that are looking to upskill, to train, to retrain, and perhaps new career, careers in technology. So we, it, it's a wide gamut, and we're going to be able to broaden that demographic because as much as we have a demand here for youth programming, it's equally important, and uh, there's the need to supply the same programming for adults, and young adults for that matter. Okay, I want to go to my panel quickly here, see if they have a question for you. Uh, let's start with Kelly. Kelly, did you have a question for uh, Sherry? Sure. Um, first of all, this is a phenomenal project, a phenomenal organization, but is there a, a plan to scale this nationally in any way? Are there examples of something remotely like this in other metropolitan uh, hubs? Hi, Kelly. Thanks. Um, what I will say is Sola Impact, the parent company that I, I work for, the Sola I Can Foundation is the affiliated nonprofit. And Sola provides affordable housing to low-income communities, specifically to brown and black communities. And with the sole purpose of uh, ensuring that they have safe, healthy, high-quality homes. With that, even though our current geographical area is South LA and Los Angeles, we plan to scale and take this model and mimic this model in other underinvested communities, needy communities within with, throughout the country. And with that comes our affiliated nonprofit, the work that we do on the social impact side. And so building out technology centers like this around the country in communities that want it and need it is a goal of ours. Uh, let's go to Matt. Matt, did you have a question for Sherry Francois? I did. Thanks for being with us, Sherry, and thanks for explaining the program. I'm particularly interested in the entrepreneurial part of it. So would you explain briefly, please, how it works and does it include things like grants and other financial support for um, students who are in the program? If they have an idea, how do they actually get that idea to, to market? Do you guys uh, facilitate that? 
Yes, we do. And I'm excited to talk about our entrepreneurship program. Uh, what we're doing is, and this is specifically for high school students right now, so many of our high school students are, they're so brilliant, right? We always say that it's not about ability, it's just opportunity. They already have these ideas. They're hustling. They, they, are, they are smart and ready to create their own companies. They just don't know how. Um, and most within our community, whether they're high school, adults, uh, there's a lack of capital. We know this, so we want to support that. So the existing program as it stands right now is uh, affording our, our young folks to be able to come to the table with their ideas. We're taking those ideas from paper and putting it into action. So this is a very, very short program. This first 10 weeks is a part one, and then there's an extension. By the end, when they graduate from, they have the opportunity to present to investors and have the potential to be awarded um, uh, seed money to, so that we can help them with their business. And it just doesn't end there. We want to make sure that we're helping one of our primary business uh, objectives in, in social impact is to make sure that we're cultivating minority and women-owned businesses. So we hope that these businesses that these young folks are creating, we want to help make those viable businesses and sustainable businesses win the community because we all know that that also lends itself to economic development for these communities that need it. But most important, we're like I said earlier, we're building the next generation of entrepreneurs. And uh, Dr. Jason, did you have a, a question for Sherry? Thank you so much, Sherry, for, for coming on and explaining your program. Uh, it, it reminds me very much of uh, the time, re pretty recently I interviewed uh, Ro Khanna, who's from out there in California as well. And he uh, makes the claim that the way to build wealth for black communities is gonna be in the tech field. My question is, with your uh, entrepreneurship uh, program, particularly with, as it pertains to tech, um, are the students being provided mentors um, and internships, paid internships and things that will give them experience before they actually go to start their own businesses? Okay. So we know how important it is. I had a great, great mentor who helped put me on a, a track to success. Um, and so we're, I'll tell everybody right now, we're looking for great mentors to match with our kids. We think that's vital. We know that that's important. We also are matching them with what we call success coaches to help them meet and get past those barriers uh, where they may, may be stuck. So yes, that's a hard yes, in fact, that we, we do have mentors for these kids. We are looking for more mentors for these kids, particularly those that have been in it, that have their own journeys to tell, particularly those that look like our kids, which they don't see a lot uh, enough of, I will say. And um, and ideally, every single student of ours within this tech center would have their own dedicated mentor. All right, okay. excellent. Sherry, now, thanks, thanks, J Jason, and thanks, Sherry. How can people get more information, sign up? What's your website, social media platforms? Solaican.org. Okay, S O L A. ICAN.org. Yes, and it is okay, the Solar, Solar ICANN Foundation. Okay, excellent, excellent. And that's our motto. We right. If you can see it, you can be it. And we stand by that. So we want to make sure that we're providing that to our students, to our community, the opportunity to see all that they can be. All right. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks for coming on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You have a great day.
Thank you for having me. All right, well, before we get out of here, uh, this Sunday is Mother's Day, and I want to give the panel an opportunity to give a shout-out to their mom for Mother's Day. So we'll start with uh, uh, Kelly, uh, your mom, or, or any other mother you want to give a shout-out to. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. My mom is actually here with me right now. She's waving. <laughs> um, okay. But her birthday is also on Mother's Day, so it's a double whammy, and it's usually my favorite time. Like, anytime her birthday lines up with Mother's Day, that's my favorite time because it, it doesn't feel like two births one stone. It feels like an extra celebration. So happy Mother's Day and happy birthday to my first best friend. I love you so much. You want to come and say hi? Can, can you hear her? She's saying <laughs> Right. Okay. All right. Let's go to uh, Jason. Jason, you want to give a shout out to your mom for Mother's Day or, or any other mother special in your life? Absolutely. So first, I want to give a shout out um, to my mother who's with me in spiritual essence. I love you and I miss you. Uh, and happy Mother's Day. Um, I also want to give a shout out to my stepmother. You know, happy Mother's Day. She's been so important for our family and what she's brought, uh, you know, now that my, my mother is gone, she's definitely stepped into that role and helped me out and mentored me in a lot of ways. And to my grandmother. So shout out to my grandmother as well, um, who is actually in the hospital right now, but she's recovering. And just want her to know that I will see you soon. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. All right. And Matt, I, you have a I, special Let me forget my wife. Your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let him, let him. It's your wife. <laughs> yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, me, let, me, let me say that. Baby, I love you, my wife. <laughs> okay. All right, Matt. Mother's... Yeah, well, I want to hey, say happy Mother's Day to, uh, to my mom. My, I love you dearly. And uh, you know that's especially special coming from your favorite child, number one. Number two, <laughs> I want to say happy Mother's Day to my big mama, all my aunties, all the church mothers at my dad's church, every person who poured into me when I was in at Howard and law school and, and even to this day, I'm so appreciative of y'all and blessed to have you. Uh, and just thank you to, mm -hmm. to all the mothers that take care of us all the time. We love you all dearly. And happy Mother's Day to y'all. Excellent, excellent. I want to give a shout out to my mom also. Happy Mother's Day to my mom as well as my daughter's uh, mom as well. Happy Mother's Day to you as well. And the Roland Martin Unfiltered staff wanted to share this special message for all the lovely mothers ahead of this Mother's Day weekend. Gant, I want to wish my mother Nathan Gant and my sister Clarissa Gant a wonderful Mother's Day. I hope you have a great day. Love you both. I just want to say happy Mother's Day to my lovely mother, Adeline, and my two sisters, Merlin and Maddie. To say that you are the one beneath my wings would be an understatement because you all have worked to craft a wing so I can soar. Uh, I thank you all for all the love and support that you carried and poured into me throughout my entire life and just want to celebrate you on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Love you all. Happy, happy Mother's Day to my fabulous, loving, kind, God-fearing mother, Queen Deb. You're an angel. Me and my siblings are so, so blessed to have you in our lives. Everyone you touch is impacted greatly. If I could just be half of the partner, friend, sister, mom that you are, I would be very proud of myself. She's not just beautiful, she's intelligent 
and the Black Engineer of the Year. I'm so proud of you, Mom. Love you. Happy Mother's Day. I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to my mom, Zena. She has been there for me countless times. And I love that she always has the time to laugh at my jokes, be my shoulder to cry on when I make mistakes, and singing with me in the car on long road trips. She's one of the most creative and funniest people I know, and I am beyond blessed to be her daughter. I love you, Mom, and happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you with all of my heart. I appreciate everything that you've done for me and sacrificed for me. And one day I hope that I could reciprocate all of the efforts that you have for me. I want to give a special shout out to my mom, Crystal. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. You're the best mom that I have. Without you, I would be nothing. So, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Thank our panel, uh, Kelly, Matt, and Jason. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. I'm Michael M. Hotep, sitting in for Roland Martin. Um, everybody have a great weekend. Happy Mother's Day. Holla. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.